Deuteronomy 4, verse 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Now this is Moses reading to the people of God at Mount Sinai who were not only a church but a nation, a theocracy at that time. And uh, this is uh, the second generation being reminded by Moses in the first gener- uh, of the first generation, largely who were left in the desert for lack of believing and loving God and his law. But God preserves his church. He's faithful to his church. He's brought the second generation back to uh, the plains of Moab right before the promised land. They're going to go into the promised land, as you know. And Moses is going through a covenant peace treaty renewal. And the first, uh, among, among some of the first things in such a treaty, is a historical narrative or prologue before he reminds the people of what largely this is, a review of God's law. For a nation to live as a light in this dark world among the other nations and have an influence. And God has saved them out of the slavery of Egypt and brought them into the freedom of being his people. They're about to go in the promised land. And he is reminding them, we saw the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, and we're seeing in chapter 6 now, we, we've begun with the great Shema, the greatest commandment according to Jesus, that God is one and you should love him with everything in you. That's the beginning of the exposition in great detail of uh, explanation and application of the first command, then he will do that with the second command in great detail. Most of Deuteronomy is God's law. And Moses again says in the historical prologue in our verse today, and what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? I want to read to you again uh, a little bit more than I read to you this morning, but I want to read to you from President George Washington, U.S. President George Washington. In 1789, he wrote um, uh, these words amongst this whole statement for the National Thanksgiving Day Proclamation. Both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to, quote, recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal flavors of Almighty God. Now notice he's responding to uh, both houses, the House, the House of Congress, uh, both houses of Congress, excuse me, they're requesting uh, that he do this. Uh, so he's, they, he's being asked by the rest of the government to have a national day of thanksgiving. He goes on to say, that we may all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation. Also, we may unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly 
and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all the people and to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue. This is what we're responding to today. Praise the Lord that we have a heritage of our, of our early government and presidents uh, proclaiming such a thing for the people of this nation to recognize God and be thankful for his blessing on our nation. I wanted to remind you when we were going, as we've been going through Deuteronomy, uh, I preached on Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 1 through 8, verse 8 being our text today. I want to remind you, I taught you there, this is still in the historical prologue to remind us why we should continue to live for God as our king according to his ways, particularly as his church within this world, but also as the Lord might see fit to allow our people, our nation, to acknowledge him, more and more this would be the case. To remind us to continue to live for God as our king according to his ways. Now Moses begins to teach and preach the application in chapter 6, as we know. But here he shows us it's to not die, and it's instead to live, and to live well. We've even seen that recently in the end of chapter 5 into the beginning of chapter 6. Oh, that the people would have such a heart who say, we will do all that you command, so that it would go well for them in the land. The point of the text, verses 1 through 8 is to live well and be a wise witness in this world, we must be good students of God's word. And the sermon point was this, live well and wisely as a witness by God's word. Looking particularly at verse 8, God's laws are righteous, and thus the nation that receives them will be greater than others. I give that as the main idea of this verse in its context God's laws are righteous, and thus the nation that receives them will be greater than others. And certainly blessed and greater to receive them and know them, but even more that we would actually live them and have them be our laws. I want to encourage you to also later on turn to Psalm 147 and look at verses 19 and 20, the same sentiment of Moses here. What other nation? And the rhetoric is no other nation has these laws at that time. How blessed are we, the people, to have God's laws. No other nations, all these pagan nations are in darkness. And we as Christians can say this, and even more as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as Christ has come to us. Remember, as he came out of the darkness, has come a great light. And he's advancing that kingdom throughout the world now. And thankfully, in different nations at different times of history, a people group, a nation, becomes so responsive to it that it becomes their identity. And praise the Lord that we have that kind of heritage, if not formally, uh, certainly very much there. And Fernanda, my wife, coming from another nation less than six years ago, became a United States citizen this fall. So it's particularly helpful to be thinking about our nation, be thankful for it, in terms of her 
wanting to be a U.S. citizen and how much she recognizes about the blessing of her nation. When she became a citizen, and as you know, it was so cute because of COVID and different things, I wasn't able to go up there and be with her, but I was getting pictures and she passed her exam, 100% by the way, and I have to brag about her a little bit, and then uh, went up and we didn't think this was going to happen right then, but they swore her right in and there's pictures of her by the flag and she got her citizenship and it's official. So I'm excited today to especially be able to celebrate being citizens of the United States with my wife now being a citizen. And in her case, it was a choice that she had to work hard for. Uh, Kind of like Paul talks about the blessing of being a Roman citizen with all its problems. Still, there was a lot of advantages. And uh, I particularly appreciate how she's recognized this nation so influenced by Christianity, a lot of advantages that reflect the morality of the Bible more than Rome would have. She said when she became a citizen, I felt so blessed and thankful. And she really seemed like that. She just seemed like it was such an amazing thing she was getting ready to do. She appreciated it. And she always acts like it is such a privilege just to live here. And she shows respect. And she acted like it was such a privilege to be able to become a citizen here. And show such respect for the nation. More, I'm afraid to say, than I think some of us born here because we can tend to take it for granted. Today, through Fernanda's eyes as a recent U.S. citizen, I'd like to think about a number of her observations with this text. We will observe how good we have it in the United States due to our biblical heritage in culture and laws, regardless of its many things to cry out for mercy about. And therefore, together, thank God for his righteous laws influencing our nation. And that's the message for you this morning. Thank God for his righteous laws influencing our nation. A number of years ago when we were at the San Diego Zoo with Fernanda and her mother, uh, at one point we had stopped. We were there during the holiday season. It was night already and it was very busy. And um, all of a sudden, where's my camera bag? Where's my camera bag? And it was a very expensive, you know, camera with a lot of lenses. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. And uh, so the girls ran back to the last place we had been. It wasn't there. So I hurried over to the lost and found area. Thankfully, we weren't too far from there as we were towards the end of our trip. There it was. Signed right here. And when I came back... I was so thankful, but I wasn't that surprised. I I kind of expected to find it there. Because that's the culture that I live in. Fernanda and her mother Carmelita were blown away. They said, this is incredible. In Brazil, you would never have found it again. It would have been taken. It would not have been brought to lost and found. It would be gone to you. They couldn't believe in so many people here that my camera bag was returned to the lost and found. And there I could get it. They just couldn't believe it. You know, it's similar to uh, Mr. Renner uh, said that um, when Grandma, a number of years ago, left her purse on a table at Horton Plaza, downtown San Diego... It was about a half hour later, they realized they didn't have her purse, and he ran back to where they were eating in, the, I guess, a food court, and it was right there on the table where it had been left. Nobody touched it. 
And this is the kind of thing that Finesse says, this, this is incredible. She shared that in Brazil, you can't let your luggage down for a minute in the airport. It will be gone. People will steal it immediately. You can, she's nodding her head like, you know, she says, you, you, can't, you can't even let your suitcase down. You've got to keep your hand on it. You've got to watch it. You've got to stay closely. You can't leave it just a little bit away. It'll be gone. There are, people are going, will take it. It will be gone. And when you're walking the streets, you have to hold on to your purse closely. In fact, I mean, for men it would be something else. But, you know. And she, she shared the story of her mother not that long ago. I think somebody ran and tried to grab her purse and take it from her. She, I guess, kind of fought him off. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that she's, they're juxtaposing. They can't believe that camera bag there, that purse, nobody there to fight for it. And it's found and returned. Well, this reflects the Eighth Commandment. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, next page, verse 19. Or maybe a couple pages. Deuteronomy 5, verse 19. Neither shalt thou steal. Thou shalt not steal. Back to Exodus. Thou shalt not steal. Now let's remember when Moses is saying how wonderful God's laws are, that's one of them. Don't steal. Which, by the way, is not a given in the world in most nations. I've heard stories of certain businessmen working in other countries where you got to be so careful as you're working with a business in another country, you got to be careful not to take a nap, fall asleep. You wake up and your, your drives of information are gone. Like, I mean, they're just waiting to steal your stuff, your digital stuff, your stuff from your company. They're going to steal it from you. Now, this isn't to say that God's natural law isn't out there. There's always a sense that we know we shouldn't do that. And uh, natural law is only to say what Romans says, that the work of the law is on man's hearts. Now, when God works salvation and works in a nation, the law are explicit and in our mouths, and we're, and we're wanting to live and build and grow on them, as Deuteronomy does. But we don't want to take for granted that thou shalt not steal, that, that there's a culture where the peer pressure is, you know, if people were watching and the person and all the other people knew it wasn't theirs, there would be kind of a, not just to be in trouble, but there'd be a bit of a shunning. This isn't, don't take, this is not yours. We live in a culture where uh, that is still, that's still there. The more natural expectation, not that this never happens where it's stolen. I could have easily not found my bag, but the natural, general thing that happens is I will find it at Lost and Found. In fact, uh, when I went back to the car dealership recently because I forgot my bag, uh, they had it for me behind. And they said, you know, a lot of people don't come back for their stuff. And same thing at hotels. You find a lot of stuff in Lost and Found because people don't come back for it. But they preserve a Lost and Found to put it there. <laughs> and this is something we don't want to take for granted. We want to recognize this is the blessing of the nation having the influence of God's laws in a special way. Maybe not as explicitly and formally as we would like, and yet much more than a lot of nations. It's the Eighth Commandment. Now, God's statutes and judgments are righteous. Back to our text, Deuteronomy 4, verse 8. Moses is marveling, saying, Do you realize how good we have it to God, have God's laws, including thou shalt not steal? He said, They are righteous. And of course, he says, they're The nation that has them is so great. A nation is great when it has God's righteous laws. Righteous is, it means just. It means right. It means good. 
These things come from God, who is righteous, just, and good. And so the effect upon God's people's lives, or any people who would live God's laws, is that over time it would take its effect. It wouldn't just be that these are our formal laws, but they would become our general way in culture over the years. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the way we live. And our nation has uh, the proper laws to do something about it, to enforce the laws, Romans 13, that bear the sword to do away with evil that we'd live it. And thankfully, our nation has laws that are closer to the Scripture, based more on the Scriptures, though many of new laws are violating them. But there is a culture that develops and exists that makes us great, gives us a great influence in the world, such as some of the major world wars, because of what God does and develops in a people, even if many of them aren't directly knowing the Lord, but just because of the influence of those that are, because of his law and the way we have to live as a culture. It takes effect over time, makes us different. The culture is influenced by the Bible. Our culture is influenced very much by God's laws, which Moses is here saying, what a great people that we get his laws, that we'll be living his ways. Now, I want to share from two articles uh, briefly to demonstrate this. Uh, you need to go study for yourself to see it more. But the first I want to share is from uh, the, Arthur, the author, excuse me, Mark David Hall, uh, for the Heritage Foundation. And uh, he writes this. Even though Christianity is not mentioned in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, the founders of the American Republic were influenced by Christian ideas in significant ways. They firmly believed that God ordained moral standards, that legislation should be made in accordance with these standards, and that moral laws took precedence over human laws. Daniel L. Dreisbach, writing for The Hill, writes this. It's a little bit of a longer quote, so I'll thank you in advance for hanging in there with me. Again, Daniel Dreisbach for The Hill. He writes, We cannot adequately appreciate the nation's constitutional experiment in Republican self-government without acknowledging the Bible's contributions. Most American founders regarded the Bible as a great handbook for nurturing morality and ethics. And even many who doubted the Bible's divine origins appealed to Scripture the Constitution, as well as two dozen or so state constitutions, framed in the wake of independence, was shaped by a legal culture and constitutional tradition influenced by Christianity and its sacred text. The founding generation saw in the Bible political and legal models that they sought to incorporate into their political and legal systems. Although the delegates to the Constitutional Convention in 1787 readily conceded that the document they wrote was imperfect, there was a consensus that it was the best that could be framed under the circumstances. And some 
such as Benjamin Rush, quote, believed the hand of God was employed in this work, just as surely as, quote, God had divided the Red Sea to give a passage to the children of Israel. That's the way they talked about what was happening at the founding of this nation and its documents. I go on to quote him. Commentators today may disagree that the Constitution contains elements informed by Christianity, but the Bible was undisputedly among the intellectual sources that influenced the founders. Acknowledging the Bible's often neglected contributions to the founding project enriches our understanding of the nation's great constitutional experiment in Republican self-government and liberty under law. Now remember, the Bible talks about walking in God's laws to be walking in liberty. And as we're talking about the foundation of our Constitution's laws, they are thinking about the laws of the Bible which they should reflect. It's just there. It cannot be denied. Whether people want that to be the case or want it to continue to be the situation today, that is our foundation. And that is a major influence in we the people of the United States of America. And it's a blessing of God upon us we should, as churches, thank God for. Because it <clears throat> makes our, our worshiping him and our being able to serve him and the influence we can have be so much better. Thus, such laws and moral codes will be manifested in a nation that upholds them. I think you can say, uh, not that it's a saving thing, we're not saved by works, but a nation that is recognizing God's law, even if it's just natural law and is living it rightly and enforcing it, will be blessed. How could it not? Living according to God's ways instead of against him? That will be manifested in the way the nation goes. Not perfectly, as no nation or persons perfectly live up to God's laws, and they even often commit atrocities against them and him, and they could be named, but that can be for another time. Yet, the overall influence of God's righteous laws takes its effect, even in future generations where God's law is becoming forgotten, and thus the influence is fading. Yet it is still there by his grace. It's still here by his grace to the church, for the church which lives within it. May we be thankful and seek to influence that it wouldn't be lost. I want to share with you more examples of what Fernanda has observed about how good we have it in this nation. Recognizing it's because of the influence of God's law. As Moses says, what other nation has these laws? Of course, he's speaking about Israel at the time, but praise God, our, our nation, reflecting other nations of reform Christianity, the nation began to more and more come to God's laws as a nation. And I want to share, I want to show you more and more of the effect that has in making it a great nation. Not perfect, but great. A greater people and greater influence in the world because it has God's laws. Not because we're great in ourselves, because the influence of God's holy, good, righteous, just laws as they reflect him. And as I've shared with you other times, I'm kind of bringing a number of these things together with a few more nuggets. Because it's made me more thankful to be a citizen of the United States. I have the blessing of being born here. She is a naturalized citizen with having to do a lot to get that. 
as you see in the Bible, said, I, I had a work to get this citizenship. Said to Paul, Paul's born. He says, I had a, another said, I had a work to get this. He was impressed that Paul was a, na- a natural citizen, born. So let me share with you uh, just examples of how good we have it in this nation that we might take for granted. And if we can think about it, we'll recognize why it is we have it this good. And it's because of the influence of God's laws that makes this nation as great as it is yet still. First of all, safety, just general safety. You've heard some of the example already in terms of thou shalt not steal and, and how there's this general culture where things are private properties generally respected. I know there's all kinds of issues we can point to, but yet we can point to a lot of how the government corrects it when it doesn't happen that way. And again, not perfectly, but generally speaking, look at the influence. Uh, one other thing is something that I wouldn't think too much about, but you know we've at times left our garage door open accidentally. Sometimes because it needed to get fixed, we learned, and though it did go down, it wasn't down when we came home. You know, and it was so interesting how Fernando would just marvel that the bikes were still in the garage, that nothing had been taken, nothing happened. That just blew her away. She just she's commented on it many times. It's just such a unusual thing for her to observe compared to, the, compared to the country where she's come, which, by the way, doesn't have the same kind of foundation with our laws, although it's more borrowing them compared, because it sees the greatness of our country, but doesn't recognize where they come from and has a lot of other very significant influence of religion. In fact, the person who was just elected president, who took the other one out, who was professing Christianity and wanting to make things like homosexuality not pushed in schools and all that, by my understanding, the new president has been incarcerated before and is, uh, my understanding, there was a big religious effort of animism and a, and a, a pagan religion uh, that was very much behind it and rejoicing over it and having worship services about, about it at the time of the election. And she tells me about there's just a lot of very pagan uh, religious influences in the nation. It's, n- it's nothing like the cultural influence of our nation because of our laws. And, and, and we got to recognize the blessings we have are because we do have that influence more directly. The only thing we do know about with our garage door open is that one of our neighbors tried to shut it for us and let us know it had been left open. That's the influence. I think these people are not Christians, but they're influenced by the laws of our nation, which come from God. Now, in contrast... In Brazil, not so long ago, one of her sisters left her uh, car door open while she was running inside to get something. And when she came out, her cell phone had been stolen. She found it not long later, you know where? Up on the internet on something like Craigslist to sell it. She consulted the police. The police advised her to buy it back. What? No, I'm telling you, they stole my phone. Yes, we think it's probably good that you buy it back. Why? Because if you take police on them, they will retaliate against you, and it could cost you your life. That's the kind of place, that's the kind of place that is not as great for the people when it is more removed from God's laws that are right and just. And the kind of corruption that influences those who should be protecting. And so guess what she did? She did. But she had someone else buy it for her. You know, the phone was expensive enough. It just made sense to do that. Had all her stuff on it. Just to be safe and not as directly connected, she had someone else buy the phone for her. Her own phone that had been stolen just a while before. Because the police said that would be a better thing to do. 
You involve the police, they're probably going to get you. Do you feel, wow, do you ever, ever worry about that if you want to get something? First of all, if it was stolen, but second of all, you could get the police involved with something like that, right? And not worry. <laughs> she talks about how clean and organized it is here. And I realize, depending on where you go in any city or place, there can be variety to that. But generally, there's just an organization and a cleanliness in our country that she marvels over. She marvels over the smooth system of roads and traffic. Now, you might say, we're in a pretty large city. What? Yeah, it's a lot more organized. You're talking about a lady who used to drive and drive a stick in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> if we visit one day, I'll let her drive. <laughs> you know, compared to Rio de Janeiro and a lot of the cities been in our cities, marvelously organized with traffic and, and uh, um, the way things are laid out. Sometimes, sometimes the land can dictate how that works. Um, but generally speaking, she's just amazed by it and the cleanliness. I remember one day we were driving home from church, I think, and it was raining, and she was just marveling over the gutters and all the water just going right into one of those sewers. This is the kind of stuff I don't think you and I ever think about. Do you drive by a gutter when it's raining and say, thank you, Lord, for the gutter and for the drainage system? Wow, thank you, Lord. I don't think we even think about that. But because God is a God of order, and his laws are good and justice right, and all things to be done decently and in order, that is the influence of the Bible, Christianity, and may I say, the Puritans and the Reformers. And all those who like to make fun of them are benefiting from them bringing us back to the law of God, to the point where we don't even think about proper drainage. But let me tell you something, if we didn't have it, we'd talk about it all the time, especially as we would be getting sick all the time especially as we would be having more accidents all the time. And she's recognizing this, that is not a given and a guarantee where she's from. She says there are so many more Christian schools in this country. Even the, now, work with me here. Even the government paperwork and the online resources, all the bureaucracy you got to go through. And she's had a lot to do to be first getting her green card, then become a permanent resident, now become a citizen. She's just marveled over all of this and uh, just different things that are involved in our health care. She's just said, this is amazing how organized, how much they help you know how to do it. And you walk through the steps. I mean, stuff, you know, you and I complain about this stuff, but it's actually, there's quite a lot of really helpful stuff in terms of helping the people that is not to be taken for granted. I think we, the people, and too many Christians complain about the government when we don't realize what we have. And the Lord may say, well, I'll give you something else so you can know what you had. She says as she observes our country, she has been in more places in San Diego, by the way, <laughs> and working, uh, she says, most people are proud to be expressive as an honest culture. She looks at we Americans and says, you are particularly honest. You seem to, be, you seem to pride yourself on being honest. Now, sometimes she has to get used to the culture of we're also much more direct, therefore. <laughs> and that's something we've had to learn how to work with in our marriage. <laughs> Especially, I'm particularly a direct person. But, uh, but she says, you, you just have a culture of priding yourself on being honest. Which is, at first to me, I'm like, are you sure that's what you're seeing? But you've got to recognize the, maybe we say, the ripple effects, the residue, if nothing else, of the influence of God's laws in the founding of our nation. 
and the influencing of the laws of our nation. She says, it's amazing, we're a Christian country. Now, formerly we're not, and I have a lot I could say about that in another sermon. But it feels and looks like that to her compared to where she's from. She says, your constitution says, under God. That's, that's not going to happen in Brazil. That'll never happen. And even as they became more like our nation, though they're not recognizing where our nations come from more directly, uh, they're not recognizing it's God formally. And, you know, uh, it's amazing we have in God we trust in our money. But let me tell you something. That did not start originally. Guess where that started? With President Dwight, e., uh, excuse me, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He had it added to the Constitution under God. Or, excuse me, I think I shouldn't be saying the Constitution, but the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, right? Pledge of Allegiance. But then also, uh, our money, trust in God, we trust in God, that's from a president more recently. That's not even from our original things. That's getting more direct and explicit. And she's marveling over that. And that never happens where she's from. She says, Brazil, you cannot mention the religion other than just to have a freedom of doing whatever you want. But they would never mention these kinds of things about God in their statements. And we do. We acknowledge him. And she said this, I feel like God is blessing this country because how people choose to live here. They have more compassion. They try more to help the poor. And the government seeks equality and takes care of all the people and treats them like humans. And I feel this reflects how God's hand treats us and loves us. I want to remind you, uh, you know, it's not that Brazil has no good things it's just there's the, there's there's not a whole lot of middle class like you and I enjoy and there's ex, there's a lot of wealth and then there's extreme poverty and i want to remind you i think you've heard about uh, in rio de janeiro some of the areas that are particularly downtrodden and so when she comments on that i mean the nation reflecting justice is better at taking care of its poor. Now, whatever, whatever some may want to say about too many taxes, this or that, we'll keep going in Deuteronomy, and we'll remember that. The nation is to be concerned to take care of the strangers and the poor. And she's recognizing that our nation does that a lot more, reflecting God's laws, and I would say influenced by God's laws directly, than her nation does. And so you have much more of a huge gap between extreme riches and extreme poverty. And not a lot done to help those in poverty, which compared to our nation is a whole different kind of poverty. I want to restate, she says, the nation seeks equality and takes care of the people and treats them like humans. And I feel this reflects how God's hand treats us and loves us. It, of course, does because it reflects his laws. That's who God is and that's how he calls his people to be and nations to be. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And not only for the individual, but thus a nation with such servants of God. Romans 7 verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And when the nation lives out God's laws, it enjoys a golden age of blessedness and influence like the days of King Solomon. And may I say, like the days of certain generations before us more than perhaps could be said of now. And when a nation doesn't doesn't have God's laws to be their laws, they're not laws, they don't end up being great. God allows it to go through serious losses of its blessings and itself and to be taken over by other nations, as was the history of Israel, when it forsook his laws. Our ultimate hope is this. When Jesus returns, his citizens of his eternal kingdom will inherit the earth and enjoy a perfect worldwide nation, all living his righteous laws perfectly for eternity under the only God. What an eternal day that will be. And again, it is only because of him and Jesus living that law perfectly on behalf of his citizens who trust in him for his righteous keeping of the law to give them the reward, his reward he gives to them of eternal life. If they trust in their own works, trying to live the law to justify themselves, they can't keep it perfectly, they won't. And they won't be there in the eternal day. It's only by trusting in Jesus paying the penalty for our breaking of his laws on the cross that we are spared eternal death outside his kingdom, outside the camp. And it's only by his perfect keeping of God's righteous laws that we are allowed to live in this perfect place. But as we find ourselves there, and no more influence of the devil, no more influence of this world. They've been thrown in the lake of fire. And all there is now is the new Jerusalem coming down on earth and only God's people there perfectly clean now. Perfectly living God's law. What a place that will be. Think about what life will be like when we perfectly obey thou shalt not kill. To the effect that Jesus says it means don't even hate. When we live the laws perfectly such as thou shalt not commit adultery. So perfectly even the way we look at someone with our heart. What a place that will be. And it will never end. It will never end. And there'll be no danger of infiltration. There'll be no danger of being taken over by wicked. Christ the King will reign supreme. He's inaugurated the kingdom with his first coming. He will consummate it at his return. And he says, watch. You remember your primary citizenship is in that kingdom as you've been reminded in Philippians recently several times in the evening services. But also remember, we are to be an influence wherever God has us. In the Revelation, he warns us about all the ways not to compromise with the nations we live in. But he never says, go move to Texas. I got nothing against Texas. But you understand being California. Sorry. He tells us, stay where we are. Hold on and overcome and be a light in the darkness. That one day, perhaps, the state 
and the nation would do the same. Honoring the laws of Christ to be the laws of the land. Honoring the Lord Jesus Christ to be the king over our nation as he is. But that we would honor and receive it and be great. And greater and greater. Humbler and humbler, by the way. But greater and greater in terms of being good and righteous and just. And therefore, have the kind of influence and blessing on our own citizen, those of others. There's a reason. There is a reason people want to be here. There's a reason people will go through all kinds of risks to try to be here. Because it's such a better place to be. Why? Moses tells us in our text. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Beloved, until the eternal day where we'll be saying this to one another and we'll be the only nation on the earth. Let us pray the Lord turns the hearts of we the people in revival and reformation for the sake of the church and our children and our children's children who would serve Christ here. For some national laws call what God says is evil and good and are imposing it upon us at the moment. And it won't make us great, it'll make us worse. But it also reflects we the people. How can we say it does not? Let us repent. Let us repent. Let us love God's laws and hate the laws of the land that are against him. And let us not try to see the nation become greater with wickedness. And a light packaging of Christianity around it to pretend it isn't what it is. And think that the nation will be greater. Let us be grateful for the civic and cultural environment we enjoy by the foundation of our forefathers still largely blessing us today with God's laws and a call to thank him for our nation and his providential care for its citizens and to act like it with humility and gratitude in how we seek to influence the nation and the world. And so today we appreciate and abide by President Lincoln's proclamation of an annual Thanksgiving Day, October 1863, in which he wrote in part, these bounties, we are prone to forget the source from which they come, providence of Almighty God. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. And remember, he was responding to the request of a lady that we would do that because so many of the states were doing this and it would be best that we have one national day of Thanksgiving. Oh, may the people of this nation be like that again. That's the only reason we have a foundation that is great. My fellow Americans, let us yet still thank God for his righteous laws influencing our nation. 
And that again is the message for you on this Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 2022. Thank God for his righteous laws influencing our nation. Let us thank him and pray that he helps us to return to them more and more as we the people. And may we, the people of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, pray God uses us to be the influence for that to happen as light and salt. Thank God for his righteous laws influencing our nation. May the Lord keep that on our heart as we go home and enjoy a bountiful meal before us and remember why we have it. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, we do thank you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We acknowledge Jesus Christ to be the only God, the only King. We acknowledge you, Lord, to be the only God. We do praise you, the Almighty. Oh, Lord, we do praise you, the Most High God. And we recognize that all we have in our bounty in this nation, in spite of our horrible sins as a people, as individuals, and even as your people, yet the lingering effect, as it has always been in the scriptures, is such blessing that we would return and repent. It is the goodness of God to lead us to repentance. So, Lord, let us enjoy and be blessed indeed by all of these things we have as the United States of America. And let us recognize where it comes from. And as you warn in Deuteronomy, it does not come from us. It comes from you and a nation who has often been influenced and bows to your ways. Even if not saved, recognizing these are the things that will bless a nation. But as we know, I believe George Washington said, it will only work if we are a righteous people. Lord, make us a righteous people according to your righteous laws. And let us be thankful for how much yet still today they influence our nation. We pray for repentance, for revival, for reformation, that we recover your laws and cry out over our sins, even of not knowing. We with our families, with our children, we as a nation. And we thank you even in the meantime for such influence and all the benefits of your righteousness that we enjoy, your justice, your goodness. And we pray that you would make us so thankful as Fernanda is to be a citizen of this kingdom, but Lord, even more that you would make us all far more grateful that we are part of the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, because that's going to be amazing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And all your people said, Amen. Amen. Beloved, would you open your Psalters with me to uh, Psalm 136. I have one more thing to say following uh, the directory of public, uh, the public worship of God and its section on Thanksgiving and our Westminster standards. But if you could prepare first by opening your Psalters and having them ready at page, page 372. Psalm 136, page 372. And as you're opening them there, I'm going to read for you. Uh, Again, I'm following, maybe I should say loosely in terms of how it works itself out, but I'm following uh, the section of the Westminster Directory for the Public Worship of God, which was one of the documents formally approved by the Church of Scotland, and we, we 
we take it as one of our formal documents, along with the Confession of Faith, Larger and Shorter Catechisms, and the former Presbyterian Church government. And uh, in this directory for the public worship of God, notice it has nothing for the liturgical holidays that many churches celebrate. Uh, What it does provide besides Sabbath worship is days of public thanksgiving, recognizing they're appropriate and how to go about it. So I'm following the order suggested generally, and I'd like to share uh, with you or say to you an exhortation at the end that it instructs the pastor to give to the people at the end of the Thanksgiving Day worship service, which, by the way, it says more about when they come back at night for another Thanksgiving service. So we're just having one in the morning. They would have two for such a day. But let me share with you and exhort you before we go out, as we are thankful, it's not to go out and live in a way that would not abide by God's law and, and then not have greatness and its and enjoyment. So here is uh, what we are exhorted here. Be careful that you spend the residue of your day in holy duties, in testifications of Christian love and charity one towards another, and of rejoicing more and more in the Lord as become those who make the joy of the Lord your strength, And beware of all excess and riot, tending to gluttony or drunkenness, and much more of these sins themselves in eating and refreshing. And to take care that your mirth and rejoicing be not carnal, but spiritual, which may make God's praise to be glorious, and yourselves humble and sober. And that your feeding and rejoicing would render you more cheerful and enlarged further to celebrate his praises in the midst of the congregation. And in this context, they mean that when you return tonight, but we'll say when we return this Lord's Day. Now, beloved, uh, please again have your Psalters ready. Psalm 136, page 372. Please stand. to him 
Now receive the benediction that the Lord gave to his people whom he gave his law, the people that left with him through the wilderness uh, and were going into the promised land, being reminded of what we read today in Deuteronomy. Hear the blessing that comes with the Lord and living his ways, especially and ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. Before you are dismissed, I'm sure you want to run home soon as we do and make sure our food is uh, going to be uh, not only uh, digestible but uh, delicious and fun to eat. So I won't keep you long, but I do want to encourage you to make sure, uh, as I know you will, uh, make sure you pester our visitor with lots of blessings and welcomes before you go. And don't worry, we have the door unlocked and we'll let you go. But (laughs) we'll see you later. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful day in celebration. And remember to be thanking the Lord all along the way. And then we'll see you, Lord willing, this Lord's Day. You are dismissed. God bless you.